Hey everybody! Hello! Welcome to another extra special episode. It's that most wonderful time of the year again. It's the first day of April. So, we are back at it. Last year we uh, covered uh, the uh, works of Harold Ragsdale, the greatest filmmaker you've never heard of. We uh, put our focus on his rather dreadful but also rather amazing Penguageddon. And some of you may have heard our follow-up cast that we did as an addendum to that. And you might be thinking, wait, are they going to try and tell the same joke twice? Yes, yes we are. Yes we are. Why? Because why not? Because this is fun <laughs> for us. So if you've heard that cast, go ahead and forget it. Because we are going to be looking at the next part of his story, which we alluded to a little bit. We alluded to his time with Cybergun Films, but we really didn't do it enough justice because uh, Harold's work in the mid to late 90s was really quite important and really quite sizable. I mean, he had a lot of success, and we shouldn't have brushed over it as just a little quick thing. Yeah, there's a lot there to uh, chew on. There is. Now, you might be thinking to yourself that, okay, some of the details that we're going, going to tell you this year don't quite match up with the details that we told you last year. You might be going, well, wait a minute, this doesn't all ma make sense to us. This doesn't match up. Who the hell cares? Here's the thing. Who, who cares? First of all, the official story that's on the WordPress account, that's the one that you need to care about for the continuity. Now, why did we get those details wrong? Some might argue that it's because we just simply weren't doing good enough research and we had some fallacies there. Others might argue that, say, one of us has plans to do something more with this material, as in turn it into a novel or another work of some form, and he realized that it would make it better if he could just simply move the locations around and get some of the facts a little bit altered so that he could more precisely capture the story that he wanted to tell. You pick your version as to which you think is true. And boy, do we have one today. Because while we're going to focus, uh, while we're going to discuss Cybergun films, uh, we're going to put our focus today on the movie that got Cybergun on the map. 1995's, uh, no, it was 1994 that it was released, wasn't it? I, my, my notes are a little bit sketchy. Let me, let me see. No, I think it was 95. At least it got popular in 95. Yeah, it got popular in 95. 1995's Neon Nightmare. And that's one word, so you have to say it like that, Neon Nightmare. Yeah, even though it looks like Neo Nightmare. Yeah, he was not very good <laughs> with punctuation. We're going to be focusing no. on the 1995 epic Neon Nightmare, which is just, man, this movie is amazing. This movie is everything 90s that you can think of. Yeah. <sighs> There's so much wrong with this movie, and we are going to be getting into it in the fullest of details. Um, but... Before we can get there, we do need to give a little bit of background on the story. Um, first of all, I hope that everybody's been reading the reviews that have been coming out this week in anticipation of Cybergun Week. Um, I guess it was week. Oh yeah, we we found a handful of those films and we just distributed those puppies. Yes, we did. And we want to thank everybody that's done their reviews. Um, you, you guys have done a great job. Um, thanks, y'all. This has been a ton of fun. But now we're going to go back in and we're going to look at just getting all this stuff lined up so when when we la last left off with harold's story um after Penguageddon, he was um out of money he was uh arrested and sent to jail for fraud didn't do very didn't do very long uh he, he only did about a year in prison 
This was back in 1988, was when he was uh, sentenced to jail. Um, he started serving his time that day in the state uh, pen down south. Um, and uh, exactly one year later, on December 15th, uh, 1988, or 80, it was December 15th, 1989. 1989, yeah. He was released from jail, and he had nothing. He had nothing to his name. And so what did he decide to do? He decided to go hit up an old enemy because that was just kind of how Harold rolls. Um, he moved He moved to the town of Mountain... Mountain Ridge, Arkansas. Yes. He moved to the town of Mountain Ridge, Arkansas, which is kind of out near... It's, it's roughly between Harrison and uh, uh, Mountain Home, for those who are curious. But he moved to the town of Mountain Ridge, Arkansas, which is, by the way, a beautiful town. One of my favorite ones to go to. Uh, lots of great flea markets there. Uh, beautiful mountain scenery, as you might guess from the name. J- just a great town. Um, I've got nothing but love for Mountain Ridge. Uh, I think, didn't you have to go through there on your way to get to uh, seeing me? I think I might have. I at least saw, I at least saw like a little town up in the mountains there. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a lovely little villa village, and I've I've got a lot of love yeah. for it, and that's why I feel bad because I'm going to have to expose some of the worst stories of Mountain Ridge's uh, history in the next uh, little bit, um, because Harold found himself there uh, working for about four years. He lived and worked there. Um, what landed him there was that uh, his uh, son actually lived there. His illegitimate son, Tim Irwin, who actually starred in one of the films that they distributed, uh, uh, the very ill-received Dog Patch Days, which the making of which inspired Tim's uh, adoptive father, Carl Adam Irwin, to uh, start up his own uh, theme park, which actually drove Dog Patch out of business very fast. Like, it drove them out of business fast, and... Uh, so uh, his his park Ozark Land actually became really the big. Uh, it became the big park. It became the one that everybody went to. It should be noted that Carl Adam Irwin absolutely hated Harold Ragsdale. Um, he hated Harold for abandoning um, his son. Um, uh, Irwin actually married Ragsdale's ex girlfriend, uh, uh, Tim's mother, and uh, well, God, no wonder they're rivals. Yeah, they were very much rivals, um, and. He didn't, yeah, he didn't like him at all, but he didn't like him, but he had to do something night, but he felt like, okay, this is the father of my son, so to speak. This is the man that he felt like he, uh, Carl Adamar was an extremely Christian man. Let's get that clear. He was an extremely Christian man and he felt like, okay, he had to do the right thing. And I mean, that's sometimes what you have to do in a complicated situation. So he invited uh, Harold uh, to run, naturally, he invited him to run the movie theater there. The uh, Ozarkville 6, as it was called. Um, Why it was called Ozarkville versus Ozark Land, I don't know. Uh, Carl was not very good with branding, let's be clear about that. Uh, (laughs) Carl was not... The park only really thrived because it was in an amazing location. And so, for four years, Harold ran the theater, and it seemed to go pretty well, actually. He actually managed to turn it into its own form of a tourist attraction. You know, he did have experience in that. That was probably the only business venture he was ever really particularly great at. Um, But he held revival screenings. He did gimmick showings during horror movies, like having ghosts running around during horror movies. 
when he could, he had 3D movies showing at all times, which usually meant that he had to get revival showings for those. But he liked to keep things going. Uh, he had lots of kiddie matinees. He would show all kinds of classic stuff. Uh, he even threw in a couple of his old films that he would show. Uh, some of the Galatea stuff uh, screened there. Yeah, most of the people were laughing at it, uh, but he didn't mind. He was just happy that the audience was enjoying it. Um, yeah, he kind of took the he kind of took the white zoo approach to it. Yeah, I mean, which what else do you do? <laughs> um, yeah, he, uh, he even and I thought this was really awesome uh, when uh, his old partner Ezekiel Breckenridge uh, got diagnosed with cancer. Harold even organized a fundraiser in the town for him, and really worked hard to get him going you know worked hard to help him and he made a lot of friends in the town uh one of them was uh the uh grocery store owner uh, uh edgar baldwin who i don't know if you remember baldwin's markets uh they they of course went out of business during the uh big financial crisis one of the worst bankruptcies to happen during that financial crisis uh Walmart bought so many of their stores. I lived in a little town called Beersburg, Indiana. I think they had one. Yeah, that was that was the market that he went into. He tended to go into markets where Walmart wouldn't go. Um, and yeah, we did not have a Walmart. Yeah, he was a very he was a very successful business owner until uh, well until the financial crisis hit and he just couldn't survive. Uh, which, by the way, you really have to admire someone with so poor business acumen that they can go out of that they can. Literally have a business that only sells stuff that people have to buy no matter what, and you still can't stay in business. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. But there was a problem. Okay, Harold had made himself a pillar of the community, and everything seemed to be going great up in Mountain Ridge. And not everybody was quite buying it. As I said, Irwin really didn't like him. Uh, he was really concerned because his son, Tim, who up until that time had been pretty much a straight shooter, uh, you know, good, clean-living kid, started to fall under Harold's influence. Uh, Tim knew who Harold was. They, you know, and they were forming a bond. They were forming a connection. And unfortunately, Harold was starting to get him into things. Uh, Tim started to, even though he, at this point, he was in his, uh, he was in his 20s at this point, late 20s even, uh, he started to have his teenage rebellion period, basically. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, this would stay with him uh, until the present day. Um, he was just arrested a couple weeks ago for intox public intox, actually, in uh, the Little Rock area. So, Ooh. yeah, that was a that was a call that really excited me when it came over the police scanner. They were talking <laughs> about it in the newsroom. I was like, "Oh, I'm doing research into those guys." Um, but the elder Irwin really strongly suspected that Harold had something up his sleeve, and he was right. With Baldwin's help, in uh, the summer of 1993, Harold and uh, Edgar Baldwin led a coup to buy out Ozark Land. They bought it. They bought it out. the The park was starting to fall under hard times, and the two men decided to buy it out and close it. Yeah, that's cold. It was cold. I mean, in the end, why? This is thing that has always, I think, kind of baffled me, even though I found out what he was going to do with it. But it, basically, Harold's idea was that, you know, it made him rich, is the thing. Selling the park, closing it off, selling the assets, it made him very rich. 
Now, it destroyed Carl Adam Irwin. He actually died of a heart attack in the fall of 93. That means that he didn't live to see what we're about to discuss next. So basically, it literally broke his heart. It literally broke his heart. Damn. Yeah. It was it was bad. I mean, you have to factor that this was a pretty brutal, cold move, and it didn't make Harold very popular in the town. I mean, because, okay, the park was on its last legs, and it was losing money. In all fairness, it was a good financial decision to close it, to sell off the assets. More and more people were starting to focus their energy in Branson, and more and more people were starting to, you know, spend time just in the cities. I mean... I've looked at photos from Ozark Land, and it didn't look very appealing. There was, like, maybe a couple of roller coasters, tops. Most of it was, like, market, you know, like, arts and craft booths and really cheap, cheesy games and shows. So many shows. There's at least one kiddie coaster in the center of the park. And, of course, they were so focused on having, you know, all the top acts come from 20 years before. It, it was yeah. it was a pathetic park. It, it had no appeal. Um, you know, I, I, I just, no, no, no. I, I understand why it closed. But at the same time, it still meant that the town's identity was crushed. Uh, as I said, they were able to ultimately rebuild. Um, it turns out that you can't do anything. You can't destroy natural beauty like they have. And um, yeah. it's become a place for people to get away Um it's become a resort town again. Um, it's no longer dependent upon the park for its identity. As I said, it's a lovely town. So many great flea markets. Like, it's funny, all the arts and crafts booths that caused the park to close have now actually kind of spread out into the town as a whole. And that's become what it's been known for. Is It's an artisan community. Nice. Everything old is new again, I'm telling you. So that brings us to our next, to our film of the day. And wow... Oh boy. Which uh, was made in that park. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was made in the park and in Mountain Ridge to a certain degree. Because while Harold wound up selling off most of the park's assets, he held on to the land. He and Baldwin signed a joint agreement that would allow him to hold on to the land. And with the money raised from selling off the assets of the park, uh, and it was very quick sales. Harold, his ruthlessness was just... It was unheard of. He, okay, the park closed in August. By February, there was no trace except for like some of the old bandstands. Like the coaster was sold in December and it was carted off that, it was carted off that week. That was just how ruthless he was about getting it cleared out. Instead, he used it as the hub for his next studio. That was what he did with the land and some of the old bandstands and, uh, you know, he he had a couple of things. Um, he left enough of the park in place that he could at least shoot this movie that we're going to cover. Um, some of the other stuff he wound up uh, getting rid of. Um, uh, as, like, as soon as he finished shooting this movie, he got rid of a lot of the last traces of it, except for the bandstands, because apparently it was very easy to shoot with those. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Good for, good for like, crane shots and whatnot. Yeah, it was good for crane shots, and it was also good for public uh, gathering scenes. Everything that will, that came from the uh, Cybergun Films uh, library, there's almost always a scene of people watching an outdoor concert. <laughs> I don't... Now you know why. Now you know why. So it was that in early 1994, Harold decided to uh, 
returned to the only thing that he'd ever really been passionate about, aside from huffing glue and uh, screaming at uh, people uh, when they crossed him. He decided to go back to exploitation filmmaking. Now, bless his twisted little heart. Bless his twisted little <laughs> heart. Now, when he entered the business in nineteen nine in uh, the nineteen seventies, it was a very different world. You know, you could go barnstorming small town to small town, and unfortunately, that was Harold's business model this time. That was what he was planning. He was going to do that again, and for a little bit, he was successful. For a very, very, very little bit. Unfortunately, he discovered you can't go back again. But for one brief shining period, he was successful. And that's what we're going to get to, which is Neon Nightmare, finally. Yes. This was a movie that he wrote, he, this was a movie that he wrote, directed, and starred in. Yes. Wait, wait which one was, which one was he? He was Daryl. Oh, shit. Okay. Yes, he was Daryl. Okay, it's all coming into line now. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. It's all coming into line. Yes, he was Daryl, the uh, hunky lead of the film, even though he looked like, uh, let's see, he he looked like a cross between Michael Keaton, John C. McGinley, J.K. Simmons, and a ferret with, uh, mo- with its nose missing. So he really did pull a Mary Sue, uh, um, Tommy Wiseau. Oh, yeah, 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 all the way. All the way. Ah, uh, shit. Yes, yes, yes. He he played... Yes, this was his Tom Laughlin role. Yeah. This was his Billy Jack. This was his uh, The Room. This was his... Uh, yeah, yeah. Good lord. Oh, man, this movie. This movie. Um, Now, the idea of the movie, which is... Uh, the movie is about sentient neon signs coming to life and destroying a city. Which, by the way... The effects are actually pretty good for, you know, what he was working with. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, well, they're, they are surprisingly good, uh, mostly because he knew some people who, he had some contacts from his day, old days, that knew how to work with, uh, it was a combination of practical and some very nascent CGI. Uh, fortunately, because these were neon signs that were destroying the city, uh, that kind of, that level of CGI actually looked pretty effective you know because it didn't have to be realistic looking so the neon signs actually looked great in C- uh, early cgi um uh, yeah it's not bad it, it was a good enough concept that he was actually able to raise a healthy amount of money for it uh this had about the same budget as the uh, fantastic four uh, 1994 look what kind of effects they got away with yeah so it's kind of about the same level of effects so that so since again, due to legal issues, we can't show you any clips or uh, include any clips in this cast. I mean, obviously, we've had some more contact with him since the Penguin getting cast, but which he enjoyed, by the way. I was very happy with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, he still holds firm on that. Yeah, he still point, holds firm. So. so sorry. Oh well. Yeah. Oh well. Now the idea of this movie uh, was developed for those who are curious. The idea of neon signs destroying a city you might be thinking of the classic simpsons episode but a this predates it and b the inspiration for it was uh harold had a cough syrup overdose in branson and that's what inspired it but he 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 wasn't happy with just neon signs destroying it so he turned to uh tim Irwin and asked him to come up with as many trendy elements as he could to make 
the ultimate modern exploitation film. By the way, side note, um, one of the one of the few things I actually remember from uh, going to Branson, uh, there's a restaurant with a gigantic guitar going through the front. Yep. Uh, I can't I can't imagine that that wasn't also an inspiration that he didn't visit that. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if that was up then, but I mean I remember Branson in uh, I drove through there in '92, uh, I believe. It was tacky as could be, as tacky as could be. So, yeah, yeah. This was this was a while ago, so it, it could be. It could be. But I don't know. Of course, I, and I've been through there more recently. I think the last time I drove through it was. Actually, I can think about it. The last time I drove through it was uh, coming back or going up to uh, Springfield, Missouri to go see the Avengers with you. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, let's let, let's make a list of every trend that we spotted in this movie. Um, first of all, the plot was originally the neon monsters were going to be uh, caused by ghosts and they became signs inflected with the infected with the y2k glitch so you had y2k mania did it really go back that far like to 1995 y2k mania yeah the y2k glitch was that, that when was, was that discovered oh, it, was, it was peak the mania over it was peaking about 1995 1996 no one damn yeah by 19 by 2000 we knew it wasn't going to do a damn thing yeah, I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. That it went back that far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, let's see. So, you, you've got that. You've got country music. Yeah, country music. And uh, 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 he tapped Randy Newman to do the score, but obviously, well, they couldn't get hold of the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we say he tapped him, we say he wanted him. But instead, uh, the guy that he got, uh, what was it, uh, Belson Trumbull was his name? Yeah, Belson Trumbull. Okay, his music sounds like if a melodica had sex with a ukulele. <laughs> yeah. It's not very good. It's not very good. Just... No, that I can't, I'm, my brain is trying to process that, that, that noise. Of course, I've seen the film, so I know exactly what it sounds like, yeah. but yeah, just, no. Just picture that, um. There was techno. Yeah, techno and and swing. <laughs> Lots of line dancing in the movie. <sighs> Too much line dancing. Oh, everybody drinks clear beverages at all times. Um, <laughs> my God, Harold loved his Zima. And and that Pepsi Crystal. Don't forget that there is a big plug for Pepsi Crystal in the film, which is which is agonizing because I. I think that stuff uh, either had gone off the market or was going off the market at that time, but he was dumb enough to include yeah. it anyway. Um, yeah, he bu- he he bought a bunch of it so that everybody could at least drink it once in the film. By the way, that stuff will be back on store shelves uh, this summer. Yes, like is it is it is it a wide release? Yes, or is a wide it? Release. Yeah, they're do- yes. they're, they're doing a, they're going to do two throwback beverages that and Mountain Dew Pitch Black excellent uh i've drank i've drank the pitch i got a case of the pitch black so yeah so i mean he let's see oh the uh then and uh the trends didn't only extend to just the uh you know what elements were thrown in there there's a the plot is wholesale ripped off from terminator 2 there's the uh the main character's daughter is a um 
God, what was the what was it? How how best to describe? Her? Okay, basically, she was intended to be like a, uh, you know, one of those Generation X, like Ultra. You know, uh, everything sucks. Unfortunately, the actress that played her, uh, Caroline Hershey, was a little too bright and bubbly, and so she could not nail the character's catchphrase of "Where can I get some heroin." <laughs> Which is a terrible catchphrase, as you, as you, the audience, will recognize. Mm-hmm. She was too bright and bubbly. She was just too... So so it always comes off as, where can I get some heroin? She nailed the um, fashion sense of the day, which... Well, the TV fashion sense of the day, anyway. Yeah. You know, flannel and blue jeans. Wow, she was, uh, she was bad. Now, she actually still works in local theater. Um, uh, I know that she's... I know that she's in such uh, musicals as Men in Dresses um, and uh, Toothless Tom's Knee Slapping Party, which uh, <laughs> is as unbearable as you would imagine. I got dragged to see it once. Uh, she she did she was in that production. She's still awful, just so that everybody knows. She's still <laughs> astonishingly bad. But good God, where to go about where to go about the sun? Um, Jim, please describe Jim for everybody. Oh, he's kind of a shithead. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he uh, he likes to do pranks, and not he's not clever about it. All it is is he raps. Uh, he takes he takes okay. He takes dog poop. I don't know. It's never explained where exactly he gets it because he doesn't have a dog, and he wraps it around cherry bombs. And dips it in green food dye for whatever reason. Lights it, throws it at things. Yeah. That's his definition of a prank. Mm. He's supposed to be like a Dennis the Menace, Kevin McAllister type. He's terrible. He's, yeah. He's, yeah, he's terrible. And it's just... Uh, and this just amuses him to no end in the film. And it's kind of baffling. Yeah. And yes, it does come into play in the uh, climax of the film, as you might expect. It does, yeah. He actually does turn a little bit hero. Mm-hmm. Doing the same stuff, though. You don't like him any more than you do at the beginning of the film, but he turns hero. Yeah. Though, I mean, he does have a few pranks. I mean, he has one prank that he tries to pull later on in the film. That's like... God, I'm trying to think of... Okay, it's like Saw crossed with uh, an Italian horror movie crossed with uh babar the elephant oh god yeah uh that he pulls in real life that kid would be a street sociopath Mm -hmm. yeah though in all fairness the actor that uh, plays the role is uh now it is today uh one of the leading insurance salesmen in arkansas uh he's gonna oh really yeah he's gonna to do quite well for himself uh he's started an insurance firm uh is a nice stable kid um yes uh Lawrence Underhill is his name. Uh, good kid. Good kid. Um, I actually did uh, talk with him briefly about this, and he didn't really want to discuss it. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine not. Real smart guy. Um, but, yeah. So let's, let's, let's get the opening of this movie out of the way, because we've got to discuss the opening of this movie, because it's just so surreal. Uh, do me a favor. I want to hear your... In- imitation of the uh open of the uh, narration that we got 
Oh, gosh. Um, well, it was obvious what they were going for, which was a Sam Elliott sound-alike. Which is a bad fit for this, but of course. Yes. Yeah, I guess they were trying to bring it in line with the with the country music thing at the beginning. But, because it, well, it immediately goes into line dancing, so I guess. Um, in the days yet to be, there will be a sentient glitch. 2000, its name. It will doom us all into oblivion. But in one moment, a warrior from 2016. Hey, that's our year. Imagine mm-hmm. that. I know, coincidence. A warrior from 2016 might yet succeed at jumping back and stopping the Neon Nightmare. Yeah. Now... It's very uh, Rod Serling. Very, very. Um, now, we have to point out that, okay, this movie was um, very much um, Harold's way of settling some scores. Angry at uh, his uh, former mistress, Penelope Zane, for uh, A, leaving him and having nothing to do with him. In fact, she actually testified against him at the trial. Oh, geez. Yeah, that was that was a pleasant move. Um, yeah. He uh, even though he uh, pled gu- even though he pled guilty, he still had to get sentenced, so he still had to go for, for trial. And she pled hard. She testified hard against him. Um, so okay, her name was Penelope Zane. He named uh, the uh, wife of the uh, main character in this Jenny Maine. Hmm. Yeah. Not subtle. Mm-hmm. And since uh, Zane went back to school to become a uh, child psychologist, uh, Harold made. Uh, Harold uh, included a scene where uh, a woman with a sound-alike name go- ignores her family because she's gone back to school and become a teacher and is rapidly dying from the poisonous ink found in the ancient textbook from her uh, Latin class. She keels over dead in one of the most tone-deaf scenes I've ever seen. Because uh, she, she seems to be saying an incantation... That it sounds like, I mean, I couldn't really understand it. Um, Klaatu! Marada! Army of Darkness did play for uh, several months at his theater. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Its theatrical run wasn't very successful, but Harold loved the film so much he kept it on and made people watch it. I can't, (laughs) can't fault his taste there. I can't fault his taste. No. So what this results in is uh, this woman dies... And uh, her husband, Daryl Maine, uh, a, uh, he's a handsome video store owner who, again, is played by this very ugly, unattractive man who... Yeah. But who all the women are just gushing over and are always like, oh, you're so handsome. You're so, you know... I was going to say, he's, yeah, self-described handsome. I mean, mm-hmm. show me, don't tell me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Women are always pointing out how great his teeth are, even though... They look like he's got uh, a box of chiclets that exploded in his mouth. Yeah, now he's a video store owner, not a movie theater owner, so that's how you know it's not self-insertion. Oh yeah, no. So, he's got his daughter Jenna, which, hmm, that sounds like Emma, doesn't it? Yes, yes it does. And son Jim, hmm, that sounds like Tim, doesn't it? Uh, That sounds like Tim, yeah, hmm. yeah. Yeah, gee. This is not subtle. He is he is not a subtle man. And by the way, the movie takes place in the town of Mountain Home, not Mountain Ridge. Now, really, much of the first 20 minutes is, uh, quote-unquote, Daryl, 
Yeah, that sounds a lot like another name. Whining about how hard his life is while everybody tells him it's okay, including his best friend Edward, who was actually played by Tim Irwin. And yeah. what's funny is there's a huge age difference between the two men, but nobody ever comments on it. Because at this point, Harold was in his uh, 50s. He was in his early 50s mm-hmm. at this point. But um, nobody ever calls him out and says, uh, you know, you're too... You know, nobody ever thinks it's weird that he's got a best friend in his uh, late 20s. Go figure. I just... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then... And really, those first 20 minutes are unbearable to watch. Would you agree with me on that? I would agree, yeah. It does not really get good until the Y2... Until the the future lady comes. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is the future lady, barely clad in tinfoil... Which, by the fucking way, 20 minutes in? Uh, like, this film is not really that long. Uh, it takes 20 minutes to get to the main plot. Well, you have to have that line dancing sequence. <sighs> yeah, I gotta have the line dancing sequence. God damn it. Yeah, ugh. And that's when the, and that's when the future lady shows up. Um, her name is Avenel mm-hmm. Aardvark. <laughs> now you might be wondering why such a strange name um that's because apparently harold was uh, staring at a hot springs city directory and he decided to borrow the names of avenel motor lodge and uh aardvark video i th- thought so we had one of those in uh, in harrisonville way back when yeah i recall you you mentioned that on that cast so that's what that's yeah what, that's what fueled that um by the way, I feel bad for saying this because I have actually had some conversations with this woman. Uh, she was played by uh, a timber heiress. Uh, Angel Moore was her name. I've had some conversations with Angel. That poor woman. Um, she's really horrible in this movie. Yeah. I feel bad for her because she's really not very good, but mostly she seems to be in this movie to show off her body, which... Okay, she was barely 18 at the time. Let, let's call it what it is. It's, it's not unnoticeable yeah um yeah beautiful young redhead she's wearing like a tinfoil bikini yeah yeah which i'm i'm not sure if there is really any supporting garments under that tinfoil i just don't say no uh she wouldn't i didn't want to bring it up when i asked her about the film um yeah now she wound up coming out of this movie with some consequences she wound up hooking up with uh, tim Irwin for uh, a few years uh, they never actually got married, uh, but they wound up having a son together. Uh, the son d- did not take Tim's last name. Um, he took uh, her last name. Uh, this was Angel's only movie. Uh, she chose to get out of the acting business immediately and because uh, she was so horrified by this film. She would not go on any press tours for it. She, uh, after this movie was released, uh, Harold and a number of the cast members went around doing it, and he had to find a lookalike to... Uh, go for her because she was that embarrassed by it uh this is in contrast uh to uh, caroline hershey who played uh jenna because she would burst into theaters saying her catchphrase which that got oh my really, god no. yes and that got so awkward yeah that's not a thing that yeah i mean i'm sure that the cops were called at least more than once yes 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 the cops were called at least more than once um uh, for multiple reasons during screenings of this movie, but we'll get into that. But uh, she shows up in like this weird time portal effect that 
was actually kind of creative, but kind of looks like they overlaid that. You know, the, remember that old screensaver that they would have, like the lines, the mystify screensaver? Yeah, like the windows. Yeah, that's kind of what that looked like, didn't it? Yeah, in fact, it looked eerily similar. I can't help but wonder. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. It was, it was, it looked funny. Is my point. Um, but that's like kind of how she shows up, and uh, she is a future ambassador who's come back to Earth to warn us about the destruction of the Y two K bug. But what she's here to do is to stop is to find the one person, the chosen one, who can stop it, too. Now, why she is here to both warn us and stop the pending apocalypse, because apparently, like, there's someone that has the code in their head, is never explained. Why she's here to both warn and uh, try and stop the apocalypse doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like... In some scenes, she's trying to warn us about it. In some scenes, she's trying to stop it. And it doesn't really seem to make much sense, uh, depending upon the scene. There's even a couple of scenes where uh, characters ask her about trying to stop it. And she's like, no, I'm here to warn. <laughs> kind of like a prime directive thing. Although, if that's true, then why are you still here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much that makes much sense about this movie. She, What happens... Um, in, in this movie she winds up wandering into town as she passes out she touches a sign which is a uh, frog it was a frog that she touched mm. a neon frog so basically what you're saying is that she came back to warn about the apocalypse but at the same time she caused it yes she did Yes, she did. So it's a stable time loop story, I think. Yes. Except that it's not, and we'll get into how it's not. But uh, what what happens is when she touches it, she infects this sign with the uh, Y2K bug. Now, it's pretty clear Harold didn't know a damn thing about the Y2K bug. Or computer viruses. No. It acts like a human virus, right? It does, it does. Like, two computers touch, and boom, infected. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, this leads into, like, probably one of the worst second acts I've ever seen in a movie. But also one of the most fun and absurd ones. Yeah. <laughs> because, okay, that's where the uh, prank that resembles all the bizarre influences uh, comes together. Jim tries to uh, pull this prank that involves a sawtooth uh, hacksaw. That was where the Crystal Pepsi came into play at one point. Several cherry bombs and uh, a copy of John Grisham's The Firm was used uh, at one point in this prank. It was really a surreal prank. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, indeed. Um... But uh, after this prank, much of the second act becomes uh, Avenel bonding with Daryl. And they have this romance. But they keep having this romance that's intercut with the townspeople being killed by signs. Uh, just like just like a twisted version of uh, the ending of The Godfather. Yeah. Only it makes no sense! Yeah, it makes no sense. because, And literally, you'll just have scenes of these characters bonding... You know, it takes about 30 minutes for them to even realize something is going on. It's just romance scene, kill scene, 
romance scene, kill scene. I guess kudos to uh, whoever the editor was for trying something, but yeah, it didn't really work. It didn't really work. Let's describe some of these kills, though, because these kills are the reason to watch this movie. Yeah, the kills really are. Um, much like a much like a Freddy Krueger movie. Yeah, they are. Um, oh God, yeah, you've got the frog who's hopping around. You've got if there's one that's a that looks like a barber shop pole that just kind of rolls around town, and uh, it's literally steamrolls over people. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, my my favorite one. My favorite one is. You know, you know how businesses have those open signs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Those get together in swarms and just fuck people up. That's amazing. It, it is, and it is amazing yeah. to watch. Seriously, the effects in this movie are really quite good, which is kind of strange to see. It is, yeah. I, I mean, especially for like this. This was like the year. This is made the year after Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, this is... I have to say, this is probably better than... Uh, which, you know, you'd expect, like, Lawnmower Man-level effects, which is terrible. But it's actually a few shades above that. Yeah, well, it's because they're deliberately fake-looking. Because they're, they're yeah. supposed to look fake. They look good in in a weird way. Um, My favorite one was the boxer. The boxer, yeah. Who just punches people to death. Yeah, and he he hung around in back alleys, so whenever somebody would try to hide, you'd hear the boxer. And then there's that tone, the um, just the buzzing. The... That was played up pretty well, actually, because uh, that's, that's the signal that they were coming. That's the signal that uh, you're in trouble, if you heard that. So yeah. that was, those used a pretty good effect, actually. But... I mean, the, these kills are so much fun. And, again, because they're just integrated every other scene, you get a lot of them. You actually get a surprising amount of them. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, some of, the CG, some of the CGI producers wound up suing Harold pretty seriously for uh, not paying them enough. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Gee, that kind of sounds like a uh, thing that happened a few years ago. Yeah, you're right. Except there's no suing involved. They just the studios just kind of fucked him over. Yeah, yeah. But that's really good. I mean, that you've got all these fun kills. You've got the pair of lips that kiss men and electrocute them when they kiss them. <laughs> yes. By the way, I want to point out that so many of these neon signs are placed in the movie early on, to the point that it's just they're so obvious that it's kind of irritating how many of them are <laughs> going to come back into play in the story. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's an enemy on sign. Don't think I'm not going to see that again. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, the gun that shoots bolts of electricity is actually, loca- yeah. is actually located outside of a restaurant called Chekhov's. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Real subtle there, man. Real subtle. And I'm glad these scenes are all in there because they make what would otherwise be a pretty hard-to-watch movie very kind of entertaining. Now, I, th- I think one of my favorite uh, kind of little subtle jokes was there is a pawn shop with a literal pawn, like a chess pawn, a neon sign out front. It's kind of big. It's like six feet tall. And that just that just goes around kicking people out of the way. Yeah. Doesn't kill them. It just kicks them <laughs> out of the way. So that was, that was a nice little joke. And that's the first sign, by the way, to get destroyed. Uh, yeah. Go figure. 
go figure. Uh, but I, I prefer these scenes because otherwise I have to talk about the romance. Um, one other thing I have to point out about the kill scenes before we change gears, they are nicely shot. Um, as a director, he improved quite a bit. This is a, actually a fairly well-directed film. Yeah, I actually, I actually prefer this over Pengogadon. Oh, I do too. I do too. It's more fun to watch. Uh, the the dialogue is still atrocious. I mean, there's still lines like, uh, anytime that characters are discussing sex, it's with absolute bluntness. Uh, he had not improved in that area. A movie set in Pennsylvania wouldn't have as many references to intercourse. <laughs> no. But, I mean, it is fun, and, God... It's it's well shot. These are good scenes, but the problem is we have to discuss the romance a little bit. You can tell that Harold and uh, Angel Moore had no chemistry at all. No, no. In fact, she looks she looks pretty well repulsed by him. Like it's hard, it's hard for her to hide it. Yeah, she tries, and as I said, she's not a very good actress, which really hurts it. The problem is she has one scene with uh, Tim Irwin, and their chemistry is explosive. Like, mm -hmm. and they're only supposed to be casually talking, uh, with, uh, Tim's, uh, Edward talking about how great Harold is and how she should be falling in love with him. But you can tell that they're hot for each other. You mean Daryl? Daryl. Look, I can, of course you mix up the characters. <laughs> of course. But you know, even though he's supposed to be selling her on him, you keep waiting for there to be a plot twist where she's really more into him. Because mm -hmm. they had such good chemistry. It, it never comes. Never comes. Nope, she winds up with uh, Daryl at the end. But, by the way, her attire that she does wind up wearing for most of the movie is not a heck of a lot better. It's blue jeans, denim top, cowboy boots, mm. tight everything. Neon cowboy boots. Neon cowboy boots. Because this is what, because this is what she dressed like in the future. She also informs... Herald that techno swing is going to be the uh, uh, music that everybody listens to. That uh, line dancing is the main activity in the future, and all beverages are clear. Which, by the way, Harold strangely was not wrong about the swing thing. It just didn't quite last as long as that. No, it's this is yeah. I don't know. It th this music, as I said, it's so bad. Belson Trumbull has scored some other stuff. He actually became the big in-house scorer for uh, Cybergun films. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Wow. Well, gotta, gotta get work where you can, I guess. Gotta get work where you can. Eventually, finally, after about 30 minutes. So keep in mind, we're now 50 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. Harold, Her I'm sorry, Daryl, I did it again. <laughs> Daryl and Avenel finally find out about the uh, kills. And uh, this inspires Avenel to realize that what they should do is seek out Cyber God, a computer geek living in the woods with the biggest floppy disk collection on Earth. <laughs> and literal floppy disks, like five and a quarter inch. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no three and a quarter. You could tell that Harold was absolutely amazed by computers. He thought they were the coolest things, but he didn't know a damn thing about them. We should note that, sadly, uh, Edward gets killed uh, due to the lips uh, shortly before. That's what finally makes them realize that, oh, this is going on, is that Edward gets killed by lips. What's interesting is that scene I don't think was originally in the script. Hmm. It, it feels like Harold might have thrown that in there out of jealousy. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's... 
there's some funny business there. I'm just saying. But um, that finally forces them to go to Cyber God. Um, and his place, by the way, is hilarious. The actor that was supposed to be playing Cyber God was a quote was intended obviously to be a major computer geek. Unfortunately, Harold decided to cast a male model that he found walking down the street. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, he was a, a guy that was uh, that had uh, previously served uh, at the park playing hunk uh one of the uh, characters that would walk around the uh community that would walk around you know like how theme parks have and he would tell oh, yeah yeah yeah. yeah and harold's response was to put a bad pair of glasses on him and assume that this was what he thought a computer geek looked like oh jeez, it's pretty bad no computer geeks have never ever looked like that nobody has nobody has nobody has ever looked like this guy so it's pretty bad no but anyway cyber god um turn, turns out he doesn't know what the sequence which um you know could stop the apocalypse is of course there's a sequence <laughs> yeah now let's be clear this this whole sequence plot line makes no sense apparently it's like this idea that okay it's this set of code that if someone knows it they can input it and everybody knows what it's not but nobody knows what it is but it turns out that when you that when someone actually knows what it is and they tell other people they realize that that's what it is yeah that makes no no yeah this makes sense doesn't it i think harold probably at one point saw the hitchhiker's guide tv show you know the the question the question the answer thing and this is his version of it sadly sadly yeah so yeah anyway um avanel aardvark daryl jenna and uh, jim go out to cyber god he he's lost but it turns out that uh daryl all of a sudden starts reciting a series of numbers that he'd seen uh somewhere it's never explained how he knows what the sequence is but it turns out that he does know it and it turns out that the only place that the sequence can be inputted is a supercomputer made up of several Apple IIEs linked together, located at, you guessed it, an abandoned theme park. Yep. And, well, kudos to kudos to them for having it in the budget to cannibalize a bunch of Apple IIEs because whew, that was a current computer back then. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But uh, he, he, I don't know how he did it. Seriously, I, there had to be some credit card debt accrued on this movie. Probably. Yeah. Um, it's it's just so surreal. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks it looks good in the way that you know a bunch of Apple IIe's slapped together looks, but mm -hmm. I mean, it, it does kind of look pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, there's like what there's a bank of six. Uh, six and a six five and a quarter uh drives on it too like yeah i'm not sure if that's strictly up to date with that so but yeah there's also 12 <laughs> green monitor apple monitors uh, i'm sure that didn't actually make any sense no and so let's see i'm trying to just how do you even describe this this finale which is they get out there cyber god pulls a giant key keychain with them from his belt 
starts trying to put them in. <laughs> as they start to hear this swarm of sign of tiny signs, the openlings, as they're called. Yes. So Cyber God and Avenel try to uh, get the computer up and running. Uh, Daryl, Jenna, and Jim go outside to fight the monsters. And Jenna finally gets her heroin in the form of a giant syringe that kills her. A giant syringe, which, uh, till this point, has not shown up. Like, they've been... They were pretty consistent with, uh, you know, each sign that you see, you you saw at least once earlier in the film. This just kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's a giant neon syringe that crushes her. By the way, this comes even after we've gotten this plot resolved with uh, Avenel teaching uh, Jenna that the true heroine is the love of your family. <laughs> And she says this looking directly at the camera. <laughs> the true heroine is the love of your family. And she just... Yeah, and then she just, like, kicks the habit. <laughs> like, she throws away our supplies. Yeah, which were surprisingly accurate, by the way. Disturbingly <laughs> accurate. I wonder why. I wonder why. Mm. Now, um... Since this was a late add-in, you can you could tell just by watching it. Like I didn't even, you know, I didn't even have to look up any facts because you know she's crushed and it's cut together so sloppily. The characters never mention her death. They never mention her or or her death. Nope. Ever again after that point. The best part: she's in a couple of shots still in the movie. Like she is. They're just a couple of frames. Per shot, but you can see her still in a couple of shots later in the movie. Yes. It's like, what the fuck? I thought she was dead. Now, my understanding is that this was because Harold really hated the actress. Really hated her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, but as since nobody is uh, acknowledged, um, Jim winds up taking it down. Uh, so she her death never gets acknowledged. On the other hand, Jim goes to work uh, with his dog shit cherry bombs. He takes down the giant lips in the martini glass. By the way, uh, he uh, his line for when he uh, takes down the uh, giant lips is, Hope you like the taste of poo. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and then Daryl uh, goes into one of the old abandoned shops and finds a pair of wool gloves, which he uses which he wears and uses to by frantically rubbing them together and taking out the smaller signs with the static electricity. Yeah, and he doesn't, like, he doesn't touch them. He, like, shoots it out of his fingertips. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> yep. This works. And, and then we come to the grand sign that this movie was made in 1994. Because after all the smaller signs are defeated, well, mostly defeated, the little ones are only stunned. In walks the Cybersaurus. This is a uh, giant neon dinosaur <laughs> that the camera really lingers on at the opening of the film to tell you it's going to come back around. Uh-huh. Yeah, giant CG dinosaur. Imagine that in 1994. 1995. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it looks... It, this is the one that really does not look very good, to be honest. This one looks pretty bad. Uh, yeah. In a couple of shots, it almost looks like MS Paint. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, I mean it's 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 in the uncanny valley of CGI. It's bad. 
Yeah, it's really it's terrible. And so then what happens is the little ones, uh, the uh, openlings, come back to life and Daryl and advance on them. And Jim is left alone outside because Daryl has to go in, go back in, and uh, they've got the right... Which absolutely no prompt, by the way. No, it's just, okay, son, you're left to your own devices. Okay, I've got to go back in now, so bye. Yeah. Yeah. However, Daryl is able to uh, input the code after a few tries and a few more dog shit cherry bomb bursts from outside. <laughs> that kid is very strong. And he stops the Y2K <laughs> virus from happening. Uh, by the way, the Cybersaurus is never actually defeated. That's the best part. It just kind of falls over dead. Nobody ever even tries to fight it. It's almost as if it wasn't actually in the shot. It's almost as if it was hastily added in. Yeah. Gee, what a concept. I know. So, the remaining neon signs fizzle and fall one by one, but Jim survives. Uh, Ab- Avenel does get to stay in the past because uh, Daryl's love insulated her from the paradox, which was also somehow in the Y2K stopping code. Of, I don't know. He tried too hard to explain <laughs> it. He tried to explain yeah. that in the sequence there contains a specific set of numbers that will keep the one person that matters the most to me from going away. <sighs> keep in mind, they've known each other for about three days at this point. Arbitrarily added into the code is a is a romance clause. Mm-hmm. Yes, it it actually is for absolutely no reason. And then it ends on uh, and then it ends on techno swing. Um, by the way, it literally cuts from a shot of the park smoldering, conspicuously looking like it was really burning. Mm-hmm. It cuts from that to everybody doing a line dance in the town square. Even the dead characters are in that last sequence. Um, oh my god. And it is, it is some bad music. It is just some bad, bad, bad music. So so the movie ends, just on that abrupt note, there's no sequel note, there's no coda. It just ends. Yeah. And this movie was a hit. It was actually successful. Uh, it helped that it had an awesome poster. Uh, I haven't I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it. Why don't you describe it? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, the poster is, um, it's a giant neon foot. Like, a, it's, it's like a, it's, it's actually a boot, a giant neon boot, uh, that is coming down on concrete, and the concrete is cracked out from the, where the boot has hit the concrete. And it's, it's very minimalist. It just, it has that. And uh, it has the film's tagline, uh, they're glowing, you're going. And, and a bit smaller print, it has the, the film's logo, Neon Nightmare, coming summer. Uh, of course, came out in uh, January 1995, actually. Yeah. So it came out It came out a bit early than what the poster claims, but yeah. Uh, turned a $15 million profit on a $1 million budget. Um and Harold's story, which was interesting enough, drew attention from places like Fangoria, Film Threat, uh, Cinefantastique, and Premiere. Um, he was a comeback kid. So, for most of 1995, Harold actually stayed away from producing films, um, although he acquired one film that was conspicuously very familiar. If you've ever seen Time Stick, it's very familiar. We've got the, I, that's a good review. Uh, Will really did an interesting job covering that. Uh, instead, he uh, acquired films. He acquired films like 
Heart Failure in Havana, Biker Babes from Hell, and the aforementioned Time Stick. Then there's Full House, the, the Reckoning of Michelle. Yeah, he did the Full House movie, and uh, uh, you may have, you may or may, or may not remember that. Yeah. You all know it. You all know it. You all know it. We we don't we don't have to explain what's wrong with it. You all know. So you all know what happened there. I'm amazed they got a PG thirteen. Yeah, Neil's to say that this is the film that is solely responsible. Like it set off, it set off a chain of events. Like you know, the downfall of the Olsen twins was gradual as far as their acting career, but this is this is the film that set it off. This is the reason that, uh, you know, they're not in the sequel, and like the sequel series, the Netflix series, and it's, you know, yeah, it's the reason they dropped out of acting. Yeah. But you know what? I gotta give Harold this. His methods of hyping the films, they never changed. He was still blitzing towns with ads, hosting premieres in areas that, you know... Maybe weren't towns that ever got movie premieres, and it was steady word of mouth. Uh, he had a video deal with Apex uh, Home Video. It was pretty successful. He did okay, and for a time it seemed to work. The films did profits, and the tapes sold. Then in October 1995, he decided to go ahead and really go full fledged as a producer. Um, the first film was "You Might Be a Redneck," the movie. It was easily and quickly shot in Mountain Ridge, and it was a failure. It was a huge failure. Then you had Alien Night. That was a huge dud. Uh, you got Lama Rama, Kiss of Life, and the last one to get produced. Oh boy, do I know Red Tape. It limped out in 50 theaters. It was not a success. Yeah, he didn't... Uh, yeah, he was trying to go off films like The Firm and... Uh, yeah, mainly The Firm. But, except, you know, Harold didn't know anything about law, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, much like much like the film The Core plays to geology classes as, you know, this is this totally fucks everything up. Yeah. Uh, this, this plays in law schools to say, hey, uh, this is how not to be a lawyer. Yep. So, oh boy. It only goes down from here. <laughs> it does. Um... He uh, he wasn't used to having his films fail. He was used to having his bad business practices hurt him. But his films had always been successful. Um, now, they did okay on video, enough to keep the studio in at least a stream of income. But most of his investors were dropping out. Um, Edgar Baldwin stepped up and, and, invest, and offered to invest in three more distributed movies and one more film produced by the studio. So the three films that got produced... Uh, Peaceful Summer was uh, the distribute. Peaceful Summer, Angel of Death, and The Pain Broker were the films that were distributed. Angel of Death and Peaceful Summer did okay, and well, we're gonna have reviews up on them. Uh, they're interesting to say the least. Um, the Pain Broker is atrocious. That's all I have to say about it. Think, think Wolf of Wall Street, but an action movie. And then there's Tarfoon. This was Harold's attempt at doing a disaster movie. I know your review. You did the review on Tarfoon. I had the review on Tarfoon. Yeah, he got desperate. He yeah. shot it on. He shot it on a one one k budget, uh, and he shot it with 
Which, by the way, when you're shooting on a 1K budget, you're actually stealing to make your movie. Let's just be clear. You are, yes. Yeah, and he shot. He didn't shoot on film. He shot it on Betamax. It's pretty pathetic. Like, it's it's the worst effects. Like, it's the laziest effects. Uh, it makes the effects in Birdemic look high class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, by the way, um, this was one of the films that... It did that one didn't even get out to theaters. That one wasn't even allowed to go to theaters. Um, no, no, most no. theaters would not take it. <laughs> no, uh, it, it only showed uh, for a brief period uh, at uh, his, the theater he himself owned, um, and it was and it was hated even there. And then there was and so finally this studio, which by the way at this point the studio had also changed its name to Millennial Spirit, well that went out of business. The tapes were only released to like gas station and uh, grocery store video sections. The, no major reputable chain would carry them. It was seen as a black mark if you carried one of these films. So that's why they're hard to find now. That's why most of you have probably never heard of them. Blockbuster. Blockbuster's letter that they sent back to him when he asked if they would carry that is pretty filthy and it's pretty dark. So yeah. And this wound up leaving him financially destitute. Um, eventually, Baldwin stopped helping him. His his family life got even worse. Um, his son bolted and abandoned his son. Yeah, wonderful group of people, let me tell you. Uh, the last thing Harold did was uh, he shot a movie for a local outlet, Kill Kaida Films, which... They forced him to do it, and he did not want to do it. He actually thought their mess, their ideas were despicable, so he tried to crash the movie on purpose, and it uh, succeeded. He succeeded nicely there. And that brings us to today. The man lives in a slum, and nothing is going for him. But yeah. he never stops dreaming of that one last shot. And who knows? He may yet get it. Um, as for Neon Nightmare itself, do I recommend it? No, no, I recommend you seek out uh, YouTube Highlight Reel if you can find it. Yeah, yeah, just seek out that, that glorious uh, 20 minutes where you see all the kills. It's just so dull for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it lacks, I mean, I don't know, I prefer it to Penguin to a certain degree, but I also don't. I mean, I'm kind of mixed on him. I mean, Penguin is kind of non, nonstop wall-to-wall crazy but yeah you can't have to wait to get to the good stuff here and the problem is it's an ego trip that's not even really a very fun ego trip like i didn't get what he was going for with it i just didn't care yeah it's weird it's just a it's a weird film so i just i just prefer the action sequences to pig again though because just the action sequences of ping again are let's face it lazy yeah they are lazy this is and it's better shot I mean, it's got a nice color palette. It's very well shot. The DP on it did a really good job. Oh, it's very colorful. You know, uh, the DP that he got was uh, a uh, young guy uh, out of Mexico. Uh, I forget the na- his name. It was Manuel or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. The guy liked long takes. That's something that I noticed. Yeah, which is great. That's, yeah. you know, that's something that wouldn't be yeah. mimicked in action film until uh, Mad Max. I wonder. I wonder if he's still working. I wonder if he's still working. It's kind of like a Polish last name. I don't know. It's it's not coming to me. But he was good. He was good. It was a really well shot film. 
Yeah, it's beautiful cinematography. It's colorful. It's nice. As I said, there's those nice long takes dragging through the movie. It's it's good. Yeah. It's but but again, the acting is so bad. The script is so bad, and it's such a hagiography. It's like okay, we get it. You think you're wonderful. We you think you're great. Mm-hmm. Stop talking about yourself. Yeah, get over yourself and. Also, there's something really awkward about having this guy in his 50s as the lead character. It's just weird. It doesn't work for him. I don't know. I I wish I liked this one more. I It's it's good and weird, but I wish I liked it more. That's that's the frustrating part about it. Um it's a good story. It could be a good story. And you, and yeah, there's just all this computer stuff that gets wrong. It's like, okay, man, you've obviously never been around a computer, but you think they're cool. Like, that's what it comes off as. It's like, you've never been around a computer, but you must think they're awesome. As of right now, he is he is literally the grandparent who is baffled by computers. Yeah, he is. He is. By the way, I have talked to his grandson, and oh boy, there's a guy that's got a crazy <laughs> story. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel for his grandson, uh. He his 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 grandson does not like his grandfather. They've only met what I think he said they've only met once that he can remember, and that was just recently. So yeah, didn't get along well. Wow. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on this movie. It's just it's it it's a cool premise that's just not well executed. No, it's really not. Yeah. Kudos for the premise, though. Yeah, it's a good premise. It's a good premise. But those are my, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, same. Like, yeah, that was it was worth a watch. It was, it was worth, worth a watch. watch. You know, if if he ever gets to do that one last film, I'll watch it. Because uh, to, to date, Tarfoon is his last film to date. Aside from, well, he kind of directed the Kilkaida adventure, but I don't really want to count that. Nah. He more observed on it, so... Yeah, I, I hope he does get his last shot, because that would be... That would be, be nice. So, yeah. So, until then, we're not going to do the wrap-up. You know where to find us. Yeah, um, although... Uh, I will I will reveal that... Um, yeah, you can you can follow Harold. He does have a Twitter yes. account. Yes, that's the, yeah. that's the thing that we must do, is we must give nod to Harold. His Twitter account can be followed at CyberGunFilms on Twitter. He's fun. Yes. He's he's a hoot and a, he's a hoot and a half, y'all. Till then, click. Goodbye. Bye. Stuck on you like liquor, I swear you're hundred proof And if I forget to mention, you got my attention The only thing I'm asking you 